Hi, and welcome to Religion and Story. This is a bi-weekly podcast where we discuss anything and everything, but always from a Christian perspective. This is our sixth podcast, and we are going to be talking about the role of ministers in the church. Today, Daniel is going to start us off by outlining the topic. Daniel? Yeah, so like Michael said, we're going to talk about ministers and ministry. And there's a lot of different parts of that discussion um, that we're hoping to cover. And, but a lot of it we know is going to have to be put off until uh, future podcasts. Because like, it's a big topic and how ministers interface with elders um, and, the, and the future of ministry and things like that. But for this week, we are wanting to discuss, and I'm going to help sort of proctor this discussion, we're wanting to discuss uh, three, three main ideas. First, uh, our thoughts on specialization in the church and the existence of ministers of any kind. Because um, ministers are, in fact, a specialized occupation. And is that the way that ministry is supposed to be? We're also going to discuss what should the role of ministers look like? What are their many tasks? And finally, we want to discuss who should churches look for to be their ministers? All right. That's a good outline. Uh, Daniel, let, let, let me ask you a question. You recently completed a degree in ministry and in, in Bible um, at, at Harding. And I'm wondering, uh, from your knowledge, uh, what do most churches uh, have as far as ministers go? I would imagine that the first minister that they would hire would be a preaching minister who is kind of a catch-all and does everything. But let's say you have a church of 500 to 1,000 people. Um, what other types of ministers might a church hire? Yeah, so uh, there's a few different uh, there's, uh, I guess there's a lot. There's more than a few. Um, but really it starts with, like you said, it starts with a, a pulpit minister. And the smaller the church, pulpit minister really fulfills a lot of different roles. But um, as the congregations get bigger, they're more likely to hire on more ministers. Usually the second minister you hire is a youth minister. And then um, quite a ways after that, it usually has to be a pretty large church, you'll get an associate minister. And that uh, minister has a lot of different roles, uh, typically, or they do different things in different congregations, I mean to say. And uh, after that, there's kind of a grab bag of different sort of ministers, children's ministers, worship ministers. Um, but those first three are generally the first three minister positions you'll see at churches as the congregations get larger. So this is this is a, a follow up question for Daniel, you and and you, for you too, Stephen. So let's say uh, we were to plant a congregation, and the three of us were the elders at the, that congregation. Let's say that this is thirty years into the future, and uh, we have we have a, a preaching minister and we have a youth minister. What would be the third minister that you would hire? And it doesn't have to be anything conventional. Uh, the other ministers I would hire would probably be a youth minister just because they need special attention. Uh, but again, I mean, ministers are something uh, that the congregation is all responsible for. Um, the uh, the people all have ministries that they need to serve to each other. Now, as far as specialization goes, like I said, a youth minister would probably be the next one I would go for after a pulpit minister. 
and uh, from there probably uh, something uh, that either caters to parents or the seniors? Um, my answer to that is, yeah, instinctually, I'm thinking associate minister, usually that's towards adults and for uh, class curriculum for adults. But uh, I also think um, associate ministers that focus on outreach are very beneficial. And if you have someone always thinking about outreach, um, I think the congregation can really benefit from that. But uh, there are some other counterpoints to that that we might discuss later, but they're not terribly uh, relevant right now. Yeah, I agree with I agree uh, with both of what y'all said. But Daniel, you're making me think of the at what at Southside in Fort Worth is called the local missions minister. And I always thought that you know while while all of us are called to be uh, local missionaries. It really does help to have someone who views the the local neighborhood as a mission field. So with that in mind, um, let's transition a little bit. Daniel, another question for you. You brought up having the existence of ministers of any kind. A lot of people who are listening to our podcast might be thinking, well, I've always heard about the priesthood of all believers, that all of us should be ministers. So what is this general justification for having ministers in the first place, and how can they best, uh, you know, be used in a congregation? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start by saying that specialized ministers hold uh, a dear place in, in my heart, and I imagine maybe for you as well, Michael, um, for me, because uh, my my degree is training me up to do exactly that. Um, but so I, I want to start by saying that. The second thing I want to say is uh, the history of specialized ministers uh, goes back all the way to Scripture in a way. Uh, you First you see apostles um, who have decided to take the the, the mission of the gospel was spread to all corners of the earth upon themselves. But after the New Testament, ministers are typically just biblical scholars, the people who decided to spend their life studying the word, studying theology and scripture, um, the Old Testament, the words of Jesus, and then eventually the epistles. And then they dedicate themselves to that, and by uh, what is logical, they're asked to go and lead um, different congregations to come and speak, to preach, lead the church. But then later we see uh, ministry specialization is happening with general special, specialization in the West. Uh, we see um, congregations saying, hey, we want someone to come in and lead our congregation instead of relying on the members here to have other people come in from the outside occasionally, like circuit preachers and things like that. And so I feel like a special specialization is good. It's efficient. It's what um, sort of, um, a lot of economies are based on, and it, it makes sense. Uh, it seems the best thing to do. But of course, the problem is, and I think we'll probably talk about this more, is whenever you have specialization, you often have a neglect um, from the rest of the congregation in ministry. And Stephen, I know you have some special thoughts on this. Did you want to share those? Uh, well, first, I wanted to talk about, uh, or at least give my thoughts on um, 
how did we end up with the minister positions that we have today? Like what's caused some to be more concrete and uh, last the test of time? For example, I think most minister positions, um, they are derived from, they meet a specific demographic, like a youth minister caters to the youth because they are in their formative years. see a lot of times children ministers. A lot of time you'll see a minister to senior citizens, and that's a specific demographic. If you are going to create a new minister position, we see them pop up all the time. I see uh, the women's ministry or a, a prison ministry or maybe a combination of both if it's a women's prison. Uh, but uh, what are some minister positions that you think could or should be created in most congregations that uh, you don't see? And I'm going to share mine because I think it's a, a very prevalent need globally, and I think there should be some sort of a men's ministry dedicated to helping men that struggle with sexual sins, uh, specifically pornography, things like that. Why aren't there paid full-time ministers that are there to tackle that and minister? And I guess the only ministries I've seen are, you know, special one-time classes that touch on the issue, then move away from it, or I've seen some sort of a spiritual rally where a guest speaker comes and speaks on the topic or something like that, or uh, events or meetings that you can go to outside of a congregational setting. What do you guys think about that as far as ministries go? Yeah, Stephen, I have to tell you, today's your lucky day because that ministry position does exist in a few churches. I'm kidding. It, It is very rare. But um, John Anderson is that actually serves as a men's minister at a church, at a congregation in Rogers, Arkansas, which is up here in northwest Arkansas. Um, so while it is very rare, uh, a men's ministry is something that has gone on in, in some places. I would imagine the reason it hadn't existed previously is because uh, whether we like to admit it or not, it is often uh, the men's ministry is just considered, well, the ministry because, you know, uh, male leadership is so common within churches. And you were more more li- likely than not to see a women's minister first because uh, they, you could make the case that they were being neglected. But, no, I very much understand what you're saying and how oh, yeah. tackling issues are so important. So, I mean, the men's ministry that is segregated to men, uh, yeah, I mean, that's very, very common. But if you want to narrow it down even further to making it deal with a specific issue, I mean, uh, I would say most congregations that are of a significant size, usually they divide the classes out for their Bible studies by life stages. And so you'll have the parents of teens or whatever in a specific class. And those classes are going to be uh, based upon things that those people need to hear. And so where where do you draw the line, take it from just being in a classroom setting uh, where there's not a paid minister to saying that we need somebody paid to tackle this issue on an everyday basis and provide some sort of curriculum for it? Yeah. Um, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, to go back to the question that you asked, you know, uh, what position should more churches have? Um, I know of a few churches that have this, 
I think that more should, but the position of involvement minister, um, someone whose specific job it is to turn the the congregational paradigm on its head to where um, it's not the minister's doing things, but it's the minister's job to get other people to do things, to be involved in acts of service or to be involved in the teaching curriculum. Uh, you can go down the list, uh, but someone who is dedicated to making sure that the church gets as much out of its members as it possibly can to serve the kingdom. Right. Okay, so, and I wanted to maybe toss this question to Daniel. Daniel, um, what Michael was just describing there, just kind of segregation of duties and assigning responsibilities, I think in most churches, at least ones I've been around, those duties are either distributed out from the elders to the deacons or um, the the deacons are in some way responsible for specific ministries. And is that, first of all, is it scriptural? Is it efficient? And um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I think that it is scriptural and it is efficient largely to have deacons lead the church in these different capacities. That's what we see lined out in Scripture, and that's what the history of the church has been. It's been uh, men from the congregation rising up to lead. I think that's the best way to do things. But as congregations have become more affluent, they've been able to say, hey, we want to have someone spend all of their time, 40 hours a week, studying the Word and coming up with really great sermons and trying to really push the congregation, give them a mission and a goal, a mindset, and do all these different ministerial duties. And we, So we're going to pay someone to do that. And I think that is a gr- it's great if you can do that while maintaining what the deacons were already doing and what the elders were already doing. But like we've already mentioned, often when you do that, the deacons say, okay, well, now there's a paid professional. I no longer have to fill my role, even though their role was the was the best version of the church already. Uh, so, do you think that do you think that paid ministers are kind of stepping on the toes of what deacons are supposed to be doing then? Uh, yes and no. I mean, yeah, they are doing a lot of the same work that deacons would have previously been doing if there wasn't a minister there. But I think that the minister should one should just be understood to be a deacon themselves. Um, that's really what they're doing. Um, and but yeah, I, I think that the deacons can then rearrange, uh, restructure, and say, okay, now the these certain jobs belong to this uh, special deacon, this foremost of deacons, the pulpit minister, the youth minister, or whoever. I had another question about um, about the idea of vocational ministers. Daniel, you mentioned earlier that um, I got my degree in vocational ministry, and the idea behind that is that Paul supported himself by making tents. He was a tent maker by trade, but his true mission was to serve God as a minister. Daniel, what do you think the place is for vocational ministers? And why don't you think we have more of them in the church today? You know, tr- true, posi- you know, people with positions that are supporting themselves on the side. Well, 
so I think vocational ministry is great. All that is is referring to what I was just saying in the addressing Stephen's question. This is it's a deacon who is leading the congregation, and they may or may not have extra training to help them do that. Now, the the interesting thing is when you have uh, you don't have any paid ministers, and you have someone saying, "Okay, I'll be the preacher for this congregation, but you don't have to pay me." I'll just prepare the sermons. I don't have any other jobs and or jobs for the church, and I'll work an actual or I'll work a different job throughout the week to pay uh, my living expenses and support my family and so on. And I think that's great. And I think we actually do have a lot more of those than we realize. They just tend to be True. in um, very rural churches. Yeah, Michael. You're you're right that we probably have more of those than we realize because our consciousness of the church is probably centered in larger cities. And I think, though, about missionaries who go off to a foreign nation, um, and it would seem bizarre to whatever whatever nation they go to, whether it's a small country in Africa or an older, you know, an old rich country in Europe. It would seem bizarre to them that someone comes to them and tries to change their lives, and at the same time, and I'm using air quotes, doesn't do anything all day. But they don't have a job. Um, and yeah. So, so yeah. Go ahead. I, I just want to respond to that, Michael. Uh, so I think first of all, you're right. Uh, definitely for foreign missions, we should see a lot more foreign missionaries using a different skill or trade to support themselves while preaching the gospel. Um, unless they are providing some really serious counseling service throughout the week, something like that. That also reminds me of uh, talking previously about these rural churches. While I say that there are more vocational ministers than probably we think, there aren't as as many as there probably should be. And that's because these small congregations like the idea of what the big congregations have, these full-time paid ministers, and so they scrounge up a lot of money to support a minister in that way. Though likely what should be happening, and I think we would agree on this, is that there should be someone just simply stepping up saying, I'll lead because I think, because I want to be a part of God's church in this way. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And what we should spend another podcast on is how churches should spend their budgets. You know, what does the ideal church budget look like because I, I think when um, when smaller congregations especially embrace the idea of a vocational minister uh, they'll find themselves freed to do more for their community for foreign missions and uh, to come up with new innovative ways to serve the kingdom we'll schedule that podcast right after the one where we do uh, how Christians need to vote does that sound good oh I- yeah, so I, I did want to take a, a second to ask you guys about what are some of the things that we see uh, that the Scripture says, or at least characteristics that we can see with the ministers in the Bible. Uh, well, two of our questions were, what should the role of a minister look like? And two, who should churches look for to be their ministers, which I think kind of goes hand in hand, that the minister should look like what it, what it is that the churches are looking for. So let's talk about that. What are some of the things that, if you were looking at a resume, what are the characteristics that you would see on a minister's resume that are hiring points? 
the biggest thing for every congregation is doctrinal points. Congregation wants their preacher to believe what that congregation already believes. Um, that's the biggest one. At the top, top of my head, though, I would think uh, this guy can do public speaking. This guy is willing to give many hours a week doing outside activities, being at funerals and hospital visits and doing counseling and all sorts of other things. Michael? So, well, let me interrupt real quick. If we look at the New Testament, we see the ministry that uh, Paul and uh, some of the other apostles had. Um, should there be a limitation on how long a minister stays at a specific church? I mean, it really does fall into the specific time frame of what was going on there. The church was spreading, but, you know, even today the church can be spread more. So should there be limitations on time spent at a certain congregation by these paid ministers? I would no, say that, no. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Well, I think that's interesting. You know, a lot of times you see churches these days who talk about their founding minister. You know, the, the preacher was was the one that founded that church. And, you know, they're not trying to take the place of Jesus as being the founder of the church. But they, there is this real identity um, where people say, oh, that's so-and-so's church. That's John Doe's church. And started it in that location, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I think it's healthy for a congregation to be willing um, to uh, to have other people speak. Uh, going back to what Daniel was saying about uh, you know the number one requirement for a church uh, to have a preacher who shares their doctrinal beliefs. Of course, that's I think that's fairly obvious. You wouldn't want someone that's on the complete opposite spectrum. But to the degree that you're willing to have new voices come in. Um, I think that would allow for more prophetic voices, voices that are willing to challenge the status quo of a congregation. And when you get stuck with a preacher for 15, 20 plus years, you'll, you'll have people that get set in their ways um, and who also are looking for job security and aren't willing to challenge the congregation. Well, of course, at the same time, you could say, well, they know the congregation better and they know how to gently nudge along. Um, I think, though, that um, this is me kind of going back to my vocational ministry point. I, I think it would be interesting to have uh, a voice from among the congregation. You know, most churches will go out and hire someone that they've never met before. You know, they say that they're doctrinally the same, but what about hiring someone whom the congregation knows and is willing to build the congregation uh, as a current family member. Um, so perhaps there should be some uh, willingness to hire a local uh, vocational minister um, who knows the people. Uh, you know, the, the best way to go to a foreign land is to learn their language. Well, the best way to go to a local congregation is to know the local language, to know the history and uh, what needs to be done for that specific congregation. I'm not saying that we, you know, we shouldn't hire people from outside of our own congregation. I, I think we should bring in more guest speakers at all of our congregations. Uh, congregations should be trading speak, uh, trading preachers maybe at least three or four times a year. Um, but I, I think that the local minister should be local. 
that they know the people and they know uh, what God is seeking to do in that place. I I feel like that's what the elders are though. Um, and I and I'm basing uh, my thoughts here on uh, not to downplay yours. I'm basing my thoughts on the Bible. I don't know what you're basing yours on. No, the, Am I? Uh, <laughs> well, so yeah. so Paul, okay, so Paul would go into cities and he would appoint elders. So you're right there. But also think about this: uh, who was who was Timothy ministering to? He was ministering to the church of his mother. Um, other than you know, so we have our we have our preachers like Paul, like John and Charles Wesley, who would go around you know to different churches. Um, but then we have our John Chrysostom's, uh, you know, our, our Spurgeons, you know, these great preachers who have their specific congregation. And I think that there's a model for both. You know, you have your, your, some ministers who are localized and some who are, whose talents cannot be constrained by one congregation and really do need to spread the message across the entire world. Right. Um, Daniel, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I just have one more thing for this episode. Uh, I, uh, having been a Bible major, they indoctrinate me with uh, an infatuation and a love for the the special vocation of ministry. They they uh, brainwash me to think that ministry um, is a truly special vocation, and I and I believe that. And uh, a part of believing that is bleeding in a um, in a special thing that the that the ministry does that pulpit ministers do that they give uh, a prophetic voice to the congregation that they also provide a focal point a goal and a mission I talked about that earlier and um, and so I, I say this to say that I'm surely biased in this um, because of what I've and taught and because of what I wanted to do. Um, but I, I think that having a, a trained and specialized minister is invaluable, that you, you can't, um, can't put a price tag on how important it is to have someone leading a congregation in that way, something that is unique and different than what the elder or um, a the average deacon does. Um, and so that's how I want to, that's my last two cents for this, is that there's something very unique and indispensable about the role of the specialized minister, the full-time minister. Uh, and I I think that our congregations need that. Stephen? Yeah, uh, Michael, I thought, had a very good point about challenging the church. Uh, when we look and see at what the... Uh, uh, Paul and the other apostles would do whenever they would go to a certain uh, city or church, they would tell them what they needed to be doing. And so at that point, first, I mean, you've got to be doing it yourself, but that is really what a minister is supposed to do. You're ministering to the people, and you'll see a lot of times that preachers will, or even youth ministers, children's ministers, seniors ministers, ministers to parents, all of them, they will eventually start not necessarily correcting what the church is doing wrong, but give them guidelines. This is how the Bible says that you should approach 
these different challenges that are coming up in your life. And so the, it's not necessarily fire and brimstone all the time, but when when the correction is lacking and it should be there, that's when I think the minister is not doing their job. Well said. Thought. I think that's a, that's, that's a good prophetic message to end on.